Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Political State from the Oklahoma. I'm Ben Felder. Along with me is my co-host, Justin Wingeter, and we are on the road, Justin. We are... Uh, about an hour and a half south of Oklahoma City here yep. in Lawton at the Bison Bash, the kind of kickoff to inaugural week for Governor-elect Kevin Stead, who takes office actually in less than a week on Monday, but he's having here a festival, barbecue, country music um, to kind of kick off his inaugural festivities. Um, and we actually have interviews with Governor-elect Stitt, uh, Representative Trey Caldwell, a Republican here from Lawton, here coming up. Um, but just you're on the road as we uh, head into Inauguration Week. There's pomp and, pomp, and, pomp and circumstance. Easy for me to say. Pomp and circumstance. There's also the smell of barbecue. I can and smell it, it. It's a bison bash. It's a little different. It's not your typical gubernatorial governor uh, inauguration event. But uh, here we are. It's Lawton. Yeah, it is a lot. It's a very lot in event. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, there's going to be events on Saturday in Tulsa. There's a there's a family festival and then a ball in Tulsa. Then on Monday, the actual inauguration and the uh, official inauguration ball with the the Oklahoma City Philharmonic and and maybe that more traditional ball atmosphere. But right now it is a Southwest Oklahoma party, um, which we are here to cover. But like I said, we've had interviews with Governor-elect Kevin Stitt, Representative Trey Caldwell. We're going to go ahead and play those uh, those interviews that were just recorded here a few minutes ago. And we'll be back with you at the second half of the podcast to kind of break down a little bit of the topics that we covered. But you're listening to Political State the podcast here on location in Lawton at the Governor-elect Kevin Stitt Bison Bash. All right, we're here in Lawton at the uh, Bison Bash, actually the first inaugural event for uh, Governor-elect Kevin Stitt, who takes office on Monday, and sitting with us is the Governor-elect himself, uh, Governor-elect Stitt. Thanks so much for your time. Oh, it's great to be here. Excited to be in Lawton, and uh, it's fantastic. We just went and did some... uh, news media out there and there's a big long click line and can't wait to get out there and shake hands with everybody. Yeah, so you're kind of taking this tour across the state. You've got some events in Tulsa and obviously in Oklahoma City on Inauguration Day. But here in Lot, I mean, it's kind of a chance for you to you know, pay tribute to, to rural Oklahoma, which um, you did quite well uh, in, in the election. It, it sure did. You know, this is uh, in October of 2017, I actually announced in Lot. And I, I did a, a, an announcement in Tulsa, one in Oklahoma City, and then I drove to Lot. Okay. And so I've probably been here seven, eight times. I went over to Altus seven or eight times. But I went to all 77 counties, uh, fell in love with this part of the state. Southwest Oklahoma is beautiful. you got the military bases here. They've got a lot going with the land, uh, natural resources. And so uh, I'm excited to come back. Uh, just the people, it's just fantastic here. Yeah, well, since we are kind of focusing here on kind of rural part of the state, and each kind of corner of the state has some of its, you know, a, a unique cult character and culture, but where does rural Oklahoma kind of fit into your agenda? I mean, how would you kind of speak to some of the needs and challenges uh, that rural Oklahomans are facing right now? Yeah, you know, you've got to, you know, if, you talk, if you're talking about expanding, uh, you know, commerce, and if you're talking about, uh, you know, what are the strategic advantages certain parts of the state have, um, you know, there, there's a lot of industries and business that want to be in rural Oklahoma that need land. Uh, you talk about the military stuff. You talk about flight areas, uh, our utility prices. 
Uh, so that's what I was telling some of the other folks here is, you know, Enid, for example, just got a $1.2 billion company. Coke Industries actually moved a facility there. And the reason they did is because of our, uh, uh, obviously, abundance land and also natural, uh, also the utility prices. We have some of the lowest utility prices in the country. So we have to take those advantages we have and make sure we look at the industries and, and actually pair, pair those up. Uh, and I think rural Oklahoma has a, has a lot to offer when you look at that. Yeah, you know, so you become governor here in a few days on Monday. Um, I know you've obviously been working, you know, already kind of getting your, your office together. You know, you've got a, 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 an aggressive agenda. You know, you've got a lot of goals on your plate. I'm curious, this first month, month one, what are what's a priority? What are some of the priorities for you right out of the gate? I mean, I know you've thought about it. So, what you know, what are you looking forward to? And, and what are you hoping to kind of get accomplished or at least get the ball rolling on here in the first few weeks of your administration? Well, I think it starts with us with agency accountability. And we've talked about a lot of that on the campaign trail, but it, it's so important. When I, I redesigned our cabinet and actually added a few uh, cabinet positions, I actually separated a few. Uh, it just didn't make sense to me. And I studied uh, all the governors. I mean, I went back even to David Walter's cabinet and Keatings and Fallon's and Henry's and, and looked at how they structured it. Uh, but, you know, Oklahomans select, you know, they elected me as their chief executive officer. And that means the chief executive runs the executive branch. That means the chief executive runs the agencies, the uh, commissions. But I'm telling Oklahomans we have to be able to hire and fire the, uh, the agency directors. Not to be a bad guy, but to create the accountability. So I make sure that I can deliver on the promises we made to Oklahomans. So those first 100 days, that's what we're going to be focused on. We're going to get that. I've been working with the legislature. My secretary of state, uh, Michael Rogers, is doing a fantastic job of working with, uh, with the House and the Senate. We're going to get that done. I think some people are probably surprised to see you add uh, cabinet positions. This is a small government guy. He's going to shrink government. What's your response to that? Well, uh, constitutionally, you can have 15 different uh, cabinet positions. So it's not like I added them. I just changed some names. I deleted some, and I changed some. And uh, Like, for example, health and human services used to be under one secretary. I actually moved it under two because that was $8 billion, and it was all flowing up to one person. Uh, and then you had military and VA that were separated. That was only like $20 million. It's a huge difference, $8 billion versus $20 million. So I combined military and VA. And again, uh, a previous governor used to have it that way. Uh, and so then I, I broke up the health and human services because I wanted one person focused on health and, and uh, mental health and then somebody else work focusing on uh, uh, human services by itself. So it's not that I added government jobs. I just rearranged the cabinet where it made sense to me and then, and then focused on those agencies reporting to those, per- those people. Yeah. So you, you ran as an outsider, and so that kind of, you know, every hire you make, every decision, it's kind of looked through that lens of insider versus outsider, right? And you've already made several key staff hires and cabinet nominations. I mean, it's kind of a mix. You've got some people that have quite a bit of government experience, some people coming from the private sector. How would you kind of assess the team that you've built around you so far? I mean, do you feel like you've got the, you know, a comfortable mix of, of experience to lean on, being this will be your first position in, in government, but also kind of tapping from the business world that you come from? You know, I, I really do. I mean, our, our, my chief of staff is uh, Michael Junk, and he's uh, fantastic. He's worked for Senator Inhofe and Langford, I mean, Senator Inhofe and Coburn. Uh, but he was also in, in municipality government. He was the deputy mayor of Tulsa. He helped G.T. Bynum win. And so he's fantastic. So he's kind of the, the insider. Then we have Donnell Harder, who is the deputy secretary of state. Um, and then we had Michael Rogers, who is uh, a former legislator that carried 1010XX. That was the, the hardest, in my opinion, piece of legislation that passed through in the last 20 years. And he was the chair of the education. So that's how important it was for me to have somebody that knew how that worked. 
But then when you come about, about running agencies, that's where you need the outsiders. You need the people from the business world. And so uh, we've got a few more folks that we'll be announcing shortly. But the people I'm interviewing are like, Kevin, I don't know anything about government. And I said, that's exactly why I need you, because this is about delivering services on that side. So, so it's going to be fantastic. When they tell me, hey, we need to get this done to actually move the needle on an agency, uh, then that's when that goes back over to my chief of staff and my government folks to run legislation to make the change that we need that the business people are telling me so we can actually deliver better services and be top ten in all those areas we talked about. Speaking of business, is it weird to leave your business? Is it weird to be outside looking in now and kind of watching it but not making decisions? You know, it, uh, it, it was about two years ago, but you've got to realize I've stepped away from my company uh, two years ago to run for governor full-time, and I have a great team, and, and now I've officially kind of separated and uh, uh, totally, totally outside of the, the company now. But uh, they're doing a fantastic job, but I'm so energized and focused on moving Oklahoma forward. Uh, I really haven't thought much about it. I'm, I'm just so focused on getting the right people hired at this point uh, because Oklahomans are counting on me uh, to turn our state around, and that's what I was elected for, and that's what I tend to do. Well, you talked about, you know, you stepped away a couple of years ago to run, and um, you know, just this last week, you've kind of put together kind of a, a plan in which you asked the attorney general to review. I, I mean, you know, can you tell us just a little bit about that? Some of our listeners who you know are asking about your relationship with your business. You've stepped away, but you're asking the AG to, you know, I, I guess, kind of give a, a mark of approval on what steps you've taken. Yeah, well, we just wanted to. Uh, we we basically just lined out everything to show Oklahomans how we're going to be transparent, and I have nothing to do with my business interest. And no governor in history has ever gone to these steps to actually be this transparent. And so we're telling the Attorney General just look this over, make sure you don't see any changes we should make. Uh, we ac- actually have a different trustee. I'm not even uh, uh, the trustee of the company. I don't get paid from the business anymore. Uh, we're totally uh, separated. We have somebody else uh, uh, managing all of our assets. Yeah, it's a couple more minutes with you here. I want to ask you, you know, uh, your wife, Sarah, so often she's asked about you. I want to ask you about, it, 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 tell us a little bit about your wife. Uh, you know, she's talked about kind of the role that she sees in your administration. I know she's kind of doing a lot of the work on the inauguration events. Uh, you know, she's with your family and, and, you know, we'll be moving to Oklahoma City here after several months. But what kind of role do you see for your wife? And just talk about kind of her partnership with you in this journey. Yeah, well, first off, she is fantastic. I'm, I'm telling you, Oklahomans are going to fall in love with her. She is, uh, she's really, really special. Um, Sarah, um, it, she's really passionate about education and mental health. Uh, she had some family members that struggle with mental health, so it's something that she's super passionate about. Uh, she's really getting involved and digging in on that. And obviously, we have six children. Uh, as well as myself, but her passion is also education as well. Uh, but she's going to be she's going to be involved. Obviously, she's she's a full time mom too, and and helping me out. But uh, she's already been speaking a couple times a week at different places, and uh, people just absolutely love her. And and uh, I can't say enough great things about her. We've been married now for twenty years, and she's truly uh, truly my partner and love of my life. Yeah. Well, Governor-elect Kevin Stitt, uh, congratulations. Uh, good luck as you move forward here. Becomes Oklahoma's 28th governor on Monday. So you got a lot in store over the next few days and then a lot on your plate once you take office. But we appreciate your time. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming down. See you guys. All right, we're here at the uh, governor-elect Kevin Stitt's Bison Bash here in Lawton, kicking off inauguration events over the next few days. And uh, sitting with us from Lawton is Representative Trey Caldwell, uh, newly elected representative. Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, elected here last November. Uh, has already taken office at the Capitol early this week and ready for the new session. And uh, Representative, thanks so much uh, uh, for having us in your town and for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, and thanks for making the trip down I-44 to come see us down here in southwest Oklahoma. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Well, obviously, we're making the trip because 
because the governor-elect is making the trip. And just to start off with, I mean, what does it mean that the uh, you know the Oklahoma's incoming incoming governor would include, uh, you know, Lautenau's list? I mean, you know, not to put you guys down the, the list, mm -hmm. on, uh, you know, in pecking order, but a lot of these events take place in Tulsa or Oklahoma City. But mm -hmm. we're starting off here in Lawton. Yeah, normally. Uh you know, the, the kind of, I guess, mood and the, the thought process of everybody down here is we kind of get forgotten about. And I think it's uh, really refreshing to see a governor that not only kind of puts his money where his mouth is. He, you know, he promised us in the campaign that he was going to care and care about rural Oklahoma, western Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, he's down here. He's making a concerted effort to, to come down here to southwest Oklahoma and not just specifically Lawton. But, I mean, it's a lot closer drive for the people that live in Altus and Mangum and Frederick and Duncan. And there's a lot that southwest Oklahoma has to offer. And it's great that he's coming down here and, and bringing light to that. And we really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you some specific questions about the, the governor-elect's agenda and kind of mm -hmm. what things you're hoping to see from him. Let me ask you some questions about yourself. Like I mentioned, uh, newly elected to the House. Uh, you know, first off, uh, why'd you run this year? So many new people running this year. I'm curious, why did you get into the race? Um, the biggest catalyst for me to get in the race um, was probably the the teacher walkout. It kind of woke me up, woke uh, kind of woke me up, and made me want to run. Um, and then my particular rep, I ran against an incumbent um, that had been in a you know a political dynasty family in this area. His mother had been uh, elected down here for 12 years uh, right before him. So um, some of his comments, adverse comments uh, towards uh, teachers um some of his stances that he took on certain issues uh they really kind of woke me up and said you know if i want to fix it you know i need to go out and do it myself so that was probably the biggest catalyst so that was the walkout and the the fact that oklahoma's teachers were not adequately paid and then our education system was not adequately funded so much of the story about education in Oklahoma right now is these challenges that are taking place all across the state. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's happening in Oklahoma City, it's happening in small towns. But what are some of the unique challenges that your schools, your teachers are facing here? I mean, we're not too far from the Texas border. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there was the teacher pay raise, but the, you know, there's, we're still seeing you know thousands of teachers leave the profession, leave mm -hmm. the state. I mean, what are some of the specific education issues for you representing this area? Uh, so I think our biggest issue here is the proximity to Texas. And, you know, it's a two-edged sword in a lot of ways. But the, when it comes to education, it cuts against us. Um, you know, you take a teacher from Lawton with, you know, 20 years of service here as an Oklahoma teacher or 25 years of service. She's literally a 25, 30-minute commute to teaching in Burpernet, Texas. Um, to even make it even worse, you take my, the southern part of my district, which is Granfield, Frederick and Tipton, if you lived in Frederick, and it's hit Frederick the hardest, uh, before the teacher pay raise, they had lost – 12 teachers. Well, 12 teachers doesn't sound like a lot, but for a class A school, I mean, you're talking about 15 to 20 percent of their teaching, their, yeah. their faculty. Um, they're a 20 minute drive from teaching in a school in Texas, so they don't have to uproot their kids. There's no, I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, you know, cost of entry. You know, you know, for someone in Oklahoma City to, to uproot their family and move to Dallas or to move to Gainesville, right down the I-35 corridor, um, you're talking about taking your kids out of school, buying a new house, whereas us all along the Texas border, uh, all along the, you know, the Red River counties, and then even to a certain extent, the people that are uh, on the Arkansas border, um, you know, they're right there. That proximity is a huge issue. So we have to make sure that we're competitive in our teacher pay. Otherwise, um, you know, the good's going to continue to drive out the bad. Uh, so, I mean, we're going to keep losing our best and brightest teachers because when Texas comes here to recruit, they don't come here and get our rookie teachers or our teachers that are, um, you know, maybe not the, the, the best te best faculty members in um, on staff. They come get our best science teachers, our best STEM teachers. Yeah. And so and we, we're, we see that effect 
uh, it's really, really big issue down here. Has the legislature done enough on education, or is there something you're looking for this legislative session on the issue of education? I, I think that 1010XX was a great start, um, and I think it showed um, it in the passage of 1010XX in conjunction with the Republican primary, where we got rid of some of uh, the more um, uh, dogmatic members. Uh, I think that's proved to the public that that's a good start, that we're moving in the right direction, but I don't think our work's done. Uh, I don't think uh, one of the company corporations here in my district, Goodyear, you know, their factory motto um, is there is no finish line. So I definitely don't think that we're done yet. I think we have more work to do this session. And then, but if y'all come and interview me in, in eight years, um, and hopefully we'll have another event here in Lawton eight years from now, um, you know, I, I don't think the work will be done then either. I mean, I think we always have have ability to improve on uh, making sure we get positive education outcomes, making sure we're properly funding education because education, um, in my opinion, is is one of the you know foundations of you know growing and creating uh, you know prosperous uh, communities. You referred to the change in the legislature, still a Republican-controlled House mm -hmm. and Senate, uh, but you know we saw several incumbents lose this year. You beat an incumbent in the primary. Um, what kind of shift has taken place, do you feel like, in the Republican caucus? I mean, you know, a lot of the focus is on kind of that opposition to the tax increase, mm -hmm. but, you know, but a lot of people feel like the, the caucus has shifted more to the middle, maybe, or more, I mean, how would you kind of describe the shift, or what kind of Republican, you know, caucus do we have right now in the House, do you think? I, I, philosophically, I don't necessarily think there is much of a philosophical shift, as some people will say. Um, you take me, for instance. I'm still a very fiscal conservative Republican. Um, I think there is more, there, there are less dogmatic. There's more people that are willing to work together, willing to say, hey, put us in the room so we can talk and have these conversations. And at the end of the day, we have to acknowledge that, you know, things like roads, bridges, education, um, they cost money. So we as a government, the government has a responsibility to its citizenry to, to fund it. And I think that's the biggest shift I see. I don't necessarily see a true linear shift from left to right or from right to left, excuse me, but more of a, a shift in the legislators there that are there now are more pragmatic and look for common sense solutions to the problems that Oklahoma faces going forward. Yeah. I liked your hypothetical about us being here eight years from now, and yeah. maybe we will be. Um, how will we know then if you and the governor were successful in your job? Um, I think some good metrics that we can use to judge that is to see, hopefully start seeing those emergency certifications going down, um, to see more people wanting to get into the education profession, uh, to stop seeing so the exodus of our best and brightest teachers going, retiring early here. The biggest problem that we have around in this area is people will retire early here and then go to Texas to what they call double dip. Oh. Um, and so if, if you start seeing those numbers come down, I think that would be uh, a sign of success. And I think also looking at education outcomes, looking at how Oklahoma does comparative to the rest of the country. I mean, that's the great thing about uh, being in state government is we have the ability to compare ourselves to other states that are similar to us in size uh, and socioeconomic standing. So I think those are probably probably three of some of the metrics that we can kind of look at and say, judge ourselself against and see if we're actually doing. <laughs> Ms. Lieutenant Governor, how Lieutenant are you? Governor-elect, yeah. uh, heckling us. Yeah. <laughs> Cutting you off from what you yeah, were saying. He right. walks away. <laughs> right. Well, uh, Justin's question about, you know, judging success yeah. here in eight years, 
Um, you talk about the education component, which is so important down here. Um, you know, what about some of the other issues that are maybe unique here in a rural community? So the, the second biggest issue, and I wouldn't even say it's second, it's really education is 1A and access to health care is, is 1B, mm. uh, which hits really close to home with us because the only hospital that's actually in my district, because both of the Lawton hospitals are not in my district and neither is the uh, Indian hospital, it's not in my district either, that are in Lawton. Um, but my only hospital was shut down two years ago. Um, so whether that's, uh, we have to find a solution to the problem. And I don't necessarily have all the answers right now as we sit here and talk of what that solution is, but we need people in my party, the other party to come together and say, we need to figure out how we solve this problem going forward because we need rural access to healthcare. Rural communities need access to healthcare because if we want rural Oklahoma to grow and to thrive, it has to have access to healthcare because the first time a company, if you try to recruit a company that can, will come in and bring jobs to help a community grow, the first thing, one of the first things they're going to ask about it are two things, which is issue 1A and 1B, and which is do you have access to health care? I mean, do you have a hospital? Do you have an ER? Um, do you have doctors? Uh, and then the second thing is, is what's your education funding look like? Because yeah. education funding is a key, there's a key correlation between education funding and educational outcomes. Um, so we just, it's, it's more than anything, it's just about making those things priorities. So those are two of the biggest priorities. Um, the, one of the other issues that's unique to Southwest Oklahoma and Comanche County in particular is per person, we have more 100% uh, disabled military veterans. Uh, than any other county in Oklahoma out of all 77 counties and actually uh, as of I think two weeks ago we actually passed Oklahoma City in the total amount of veteran disabled veterans oh, wow. that we have and so we're talking about a county of maybe 160,000 people has has more not just per capita actually more disabled military veterans in our county than any other county so we have to make sure um, we cultivate that because those are those those men and women are huge assets for this community uh, they come here they, they choose to settle here retire here and they're integral in our communities they become they're in their second careers they become teachers they become lawyers doctors uh, business owners um, and so we got to continue to cultivate that and make sure that they know that you know, we're there for them. I yeah. think that's a huge thing in this community. Yeah, well, let me go back real quick to, to healthcare as we wrap up here. Um, you know, I think that's going to be a big topic for the legislature this year. Obviously, all these headlines of hospitals closing, mm -hmm. your district's experienced that a couple of years ago, as you mentioned. Um, you, you and I, so you and I spoke on the phone last week, kind of setting up this interview, and we got into talking about some policy issues such as mm -hmm. healthcare. You know, I asked you about Medicaid expansion. Now, I didn't want to put words in your mouth. You didn't say that you were going to vote yes for it or that, you know, you said mm -hmm. that it was something you'd be willing to look at and mm -hmm. consider. But even if you look back five years ago, that's something that would be hard to hear a Republican say. But here you are saying, like, hey, I'm open to having the conversation. Can you tell us a little bit about that. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think it goes back to not being dogmatic. When we talked about that uh, party shift, yeah. um, I, I do think the Republican Party, the, uh, the the people that have been elected, are less dogmatic than are some of our predecessors. Um, I want to look and have a conversation on anybody. And, and, and I told you this on the phone the other day. Republicans don't have a monopoly on good ideals. And so, excuse me, um, so... We need to look at that, and I don't necessarily know if that is um, the federal government, you know, take, taking the expansion dollars, doing it in block grants. Or, I don't know what that solution is, but it needs to be talked about, and there, that conversation needs to be ha needs to happen because that money is out there, and that money's already coming out of Oklahomans' pockets. 
it went to the federal level. So we need to make sure that money is repatriated or brought back to the state. And I, and I don't necessarily know. I'd have to sit down on a particular. I'm not committing to saying I would vote for this bill or that bill. But I, I mean, I'm definitely going to be open to it. If, if you can tell me that we can start opening up hospitals in rural Oklahoma, or at least in some capacity, and whether that's, you know, a 15 bed, you know, with an ER or some something, there, there has to be a solution. And so I'll, I'll look under every nook and cranny to try to find it. And I definitely won't cut anything out, you know, beforehand. And um, I think that goes back to, you know, I talk, like I talked about earlier is we have to be pragmatic and we have to look for solutions. The, the one thing that this election should have talked taught everybody, every politician, every political animal, every reporter, it, journalist, whomever, it should taught us that the people in Oklahoma and even in America in, in a, lot, a lot of ways, if you go back two years, they're tired of the same old, same old. They want results. They want people to work together. They're, they're tired of the habitual naysaying. They're tired of, you know, the the show aspect of what politics is and they want people to go to Oklahoma City and go to Washington and get to work and so that's one thing that I promised all my people or all my uh, constituents when I ran is that I'm, I want to go work I want, I'm ready to go to Oklahoma City and go to work on day one yeah to find solutions yeah so well a lot of work ahead of you mm -hmm. a new governor a lot of new representatives like yourself and uh, we're here to party we'll let you go enjoy that as well but we really appreciate you sitting down with us Thanks and for taking uh, the time, hopefully uh, maybe thank connect uh, later on in the legislative session so yeah. good luck with everything thank yeah. you representative Caldwell for thank lot. you guys appreciate yeah. it All right, welcome back to the Political State Podcast. I'm Ben Felder, along with my co-host, Justin Wingerter. And Justin, the uh, smell of barbecue continues to get stronger here at the Bite and Bash here in Lawton. Uh, recently, visit, visit, we just visited with Governor-elect Kevin Stipp, Representative Trey Caldwell. Uh, let's start off with uh, the Governor-elect who, who takes office here in a few days. Um, you know, coming down here is kind of a way to pay homage to rural Oklahoma, where he did very well in uh, in the elections. Uh, you know, the urban-rural split that's happening across America with politics, Democrats versus Republicans, it's very much true here in Oklahoma. And we saw that, and here Governor Lex did, is coming down here uh, to, uh, you know, give some attention to a part of the state that sometimes gets ignored. He knows these are the people that elected him. Um, he knows that very well. Um, if you look at the map, that's pretty clear. He's still a city guy, and I am too. I'm not going to fault him for that. But he none nonetheless has to show people down here and elsewhere in the state that he understands them or at least will represent them well. I mean, if there's a limit probably to the extent that he understands them, but he nonetheless has to show that he's with them. And that, I think, begins tonight. If It, it obviously began to some extent during the campaign, but now that he has won, what kind of governor will he be? Will he remember people down here who often feel forgotten? We talked to Representative Caldwell about that. Um, they often feel like they're overlooked by Tulsa and Oklahoma City. He's here to say, you're not, and I'm yeah. here. Well, that interview with Representative Caldwell, the first thing he talked about was education. And education is a topic that's being talked about across the state, but particularly here when you have a, a rural community um, where funding struggles exist because of a, a decline in enrollment. State dollars follow students, so when you lose students to declining enrollment, you lose some funding. But when you're so close to the state line, like Texas, where teachers can go make more money, especially yeah. those who may retire and then kind of double dip, as the representative said, um, teacher pay remains a big issue. And that's kind of interesting to me because last year we saw teacher pay raise approved. Teachers continued with the walkout because they said they wanted more money for the classroom. And I'm not saying that teachers down here don't want more funding for classrooms. Uh, but Representative Caldwell is saying we need more money in teachers' paychecks. And that is something that uh, Governor-elect Kevin Stitt has said he wants in year one, another teacher pay raise. And when you talk to people down in this area, you see why that's so important to the, to the incoming governor. 
Yeah, and Representative Caldwell is saying there is a direct correlation between the amount of money you put into education and educational outcomes. Um, not exactly a shocking idea there, but it nonetheless says that we need more money if we want to improve educational outcomes. Uh, the representative talking about two issues uh, the Democrats often harp on, uh, education and especially health care and rural health care and opening up the idea of Medicaid expansion with them a little bit there and uh, not totally going for it as we talked about, but he, he nonetheless is willing to have that conversation. Which is leaps and bounds for where we saw Republicans Absolutely. just a few years ago. Oh, yeah. I mean, Oklahoma, uh, one of the states that has declined Medicaid expansion, uh, Governor Fallon says she won't touch it. Now, to be fair, uh, Governor-elect Kevin Stitt has said he's not for Medicaid expansion. Right. If you kind of dissect some of the things that he has said, he has said that I want to see some things taken care of first before we even have that conversation. But he has been pretty clear that he's not you know, a fan of that idea right now. But here we see a, a recently elected representative, but a Republican you know, who beat an incumbent. And I think he kind of has maybe similar feelings and thoughts to some of the other newly elected representatives in this Republican House. And just the idea that he's uh, willing to have that conversation um, is something that I think Democrats will say, okay, hey, we'll take that. And we'll try to see if we can we can spark that conversation this year. Yeah, I've heard some talk in the legislature um, uh, and, and talking with our health reporter that there is some talk that if this idea of a Medicaid expansion is going to the ballot, some Republicans are going to want to jump in there and say, before it does that, why don't we do it? Why don't we do it in our way, in a way that we think is better? It, uh, very much a flashback to medical marijuana. We had, you know, Rather than let this go to a ballot question where it becomes a bit of an unknown and uh, it can sometimes be poorly written or at least vaguely written, why don't we take care of it ourselves? Why don't we do it in a Republican way, a conservative way? There is some talk about that, at least in the uh, the Senate Health Committee right now. So um, interesting to, to see, but we'll see what comes of it. I mean, just to have that discussion is a step uh, if you're in favor of Medicaid expansion. It's you're probably, a, you know, get cautiously optimistic with that, but it's very far from actually taking that leap. Yeah. Well, like I said, Representative Caldwell talking about education, talking about health care, important because when you're trying to attract people to rural Oklahoma, these are two big important things. We're trying to attract business. Attract business is something that uh, uh, Stitt has talked a lot about. I mean, oh, yeah. he wants to be the CEO governor and has promised to be pretty aggressive when it comes to business recruiting. You know, he even told us, you know, hey, I'm looking for ways to bring businesses not just to Oklahoma City and Tulsa, but to some of these kind of mid-side cities like Enid or, or maybe Lawton. Um, and that is his focus going in. I mean, he wants to be a, a business-minded uh governor, you know, if you're a critic of his, you're going to say, hey, he lacks the experience to get it done. If you're a supporter of his, you're going to say he's going to bring in that kind of fresh approach that the state needs. And we're about to find out, uh, you know, you know, which side is right on that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Representative Caldwell saying, you know, if you want to bring people, you know, bring businesses to this part of the state, you better also give them an education system. You better also give them a health care system because people don't want to move to places where there are poor schools and no hospital. I mean, that's just, you know, by and large, something you general services that people like. And uh, so interesting to see how that those two ideas could could mesh pretty well. But I don't know what that looks like in terms of spending. Do you spend more on uh, health care? Do you spend more on education in order to bring about Stitt's pro-business uh, agenda here? Yeah. Well, 
you know, you asked this question. I thought it was a great question. I, you know, he's you know already focused on becoming governor. He's been focused on this for uh, more than a year now. You know, running for the seat, and now after the election, putting his government together. Um, but is he going to miss the business world? I mean, that has been who he is. I mean, even so much so that you know he even hasn't even regularly voted in elections up until recently. Yeah. This has not been a guy plugged into politics, and that has been his appeal to a lot of people is that right. he is that outsider. But here he is, kind of entering a very new world. And, and the biggest question I have or one of the biggest questions I have is what's that change of pace going to be like for him? Is he going to enjoy being governor, you know, working in state government where the pace is a lot slower than it is in the private sector? Is the office going to shape him? Is he going to shape the office? I guess it's always the big question when you see someone come in. And he talked about, you know, I'm the chief executive. I get to I control all these agencies. And, and certainly to a large extent, he's right. But when you're CEO, you get to make decisions like that. I mean, you get to make decisions as long as you have the money, pretty much overnight, uh, it's very different even if you have the money in government. They, you just have to work through systems or checks and balances. Government is not supposed to work fast. It's meant to work deliberately, and sometimes that means slowly. Uh, you could see someone like that getting frustrated at the slow pace of government, um, at the, the need for collaboration, uh, and the level of bureaucracy. But We'll see. Yeah. I, you know, some of the things that he's talked about wanting to change for the uh, governor's office is having more ability to hire and fire agency heads, something yeah. he's talked a lot about. You know, I think anytime you have a new governor coming in and you talk to people at various state agencies, there's always a little bit of kind of uncertainty about what to expect. I'll tell you what, I've heard a lot of it from people who work at state agencies. Um, I mean, not to say that there aren't people working for the state government right now that are, you know, applauding state and, and welcoming in, but there's a lot of just unknown. What is it going to look like if this governor does get those powers? And it looks like he will. The legislator, legislature uh, seems prepared to give it to him. Um, this is a guy that wants more control over these state agencies, and it's caused a lot of people in state government right now to just be unknown, unsure about what that's going to mean um, because this guy has big ideas, and like you said, I mean, he's used to being a CEO where you have that, you know, kind of total power. And that's what he feels like Oklahoma needs in order to get back on the right track. And maybe he's right, but it, it does make you, uh, I'm sure it makes you a little unsure when you're uh, accustomed to doing things one way at a state agency or something. Uh, and you're, you hear a guy talking about firing people, uh, anybody in any business, if you were, let's take his business example, if you were in a business and the new guy came in talking about how bad he wants to fire people, you might get a little nervous about things. That's, that's understandable. So, yep, uh, we'll see. I mean, what else can you say at this point? But we will see. Yeah. And, and we'll we, be there. And we, yeah, we will be there. <laughs> we will see on Monday, uh, Governor-elect Stitt becomes Governor Stitt um, sometime around noon on Monday. Uh, becomes governor, becomes uh, you know a state official for the first time in his career, a businessman that's entering politics for the first time. We are going to be there at the inauguration. We're going to have complete coverage. We may actually have a special political state episode next week to kind of dissect what we've seen. But right now, we're in Lawton. We're at this Bison Bash, um, you know, a, fest uh, a festival to celebrate the incoming governor and a festival to celebrate rural Oklahoma, like you said, was so important to his election. And uh, there's a lot of high hopes in this part of the state. Uh, that a governor is coming in that's going to deliver some solutions to some key problems that they have. Yep. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Political State. You can find each and every episode on your favorite podcasting app or newsok.com. With Justin, I'm Ben on location in Lawton, Oklahoma. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week.